Hello and welcome to episode 237 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. No Alex Jones today, but we'll do our best to cope without him. Plenty to get into. We did have our nice little lunchtime pod actually uh, last Friday, so there has been uh, more content on uh, the feed than there would be. Perhaps if things go to plan on Wednesday, maybe we'll have a nice little Friday podcast again. We'll see how things go. Plenty of news in a week to get into. We've got the reaction to uh, this week in the Euros. Conor McGregor's back this weekend, so we've got to talk about that and then the transfer gossip, as we'll do throughout the summer. There's actually a lot of news in a week, so I'll get straight into it. Journalist stops broadcast to tell viewers on live TV that he hasn't been paid. That's like, <laughs> that's like pulling the ultimatum on football manager, isn't it? That's never going to end well. You're out of a job. Uh, cows escape meatpacking plant and run loose in California City. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I'm not a vegetarian, but the thought of them having like a chicken run style escape. <laughs> it's a great thought. Uh, man stacks five M&Ms to break stacking world record. Five? Yeah, five M&Ms on top of each other. That's... Like, that seems equally as easy and difficult. Is that it? does not seem easy at all. I reckon I could do it. Well, do you think you could stack <laughs> two footballs on top of each other? That's much bigger to be, deal- to be dealing with. Yeah, but they're more like elliptical, aren't they? They're not so much round. Oh, do you think you could stack two rugby balls on top of each other easy? Not easy, but I reckon it can be done, yeah. And then add <laughs> three more on top of that. Yeah, maybe that's yeah, a bit more difficult, I suppose. I'm not backing my chunky fingers to <coughs> stack five it M&Ms. On, it, it depends on the M&M. If you're going for peanuts, then no. But yeah. if you're going, going for crispy, then you are. You it's not great that I was just thinking the exact same trailer thought there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, EU, agrees, EU agrees three-month ceasefire with UK and sausage war. Nice. I, I saw that Boris Johnson said that the verse is behind us in front of the German Chancellor, which is just Jesus. Just awful. Um, I can't laugh at this. Taiwan boy thrown 27 times in judo class dies. <laughs> you would have thought that the referee after the 26th, they would have thought. So that's just in class. That's not in competition. That's like the teacher is just like walloping him from side to side like he's in like Rex Kondo. <laughs> Break the Stick his name on the wall. <laughs> A body on the record. Mental. And what, what point, like after the 20 times that the kid not learnt the lesson? Wasn't fighting back. He's just being tossed around. I wonder what he died of, just sheer embarrassment. Oh, head trauma, maybe. <laughs> Templeton Man agrees to stop mowing his lawn naked following a visit from the sheriff. Got you on the old naked rule, did they? <laughs> you won't catch me lying the lawn. New dental slim device helps patients lose weight by locking their teeth shut. Yeah, that's foolproof. Yeah, it is. Pretty barbaric, though, isn't it? Yeah. Creator of nothing sculpture sues Italian artist for doing the same and therefore profiting from his work. <laughs> following on from the one we had a couple of weeks back so. people have nothing better to do 
there's probably some places in America where you could win that lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, quite a dark week continues. Kitchen nightmare. Chef dies after falling into a massive vat of chicken soup. <laughs> it's not good for the soul in that, that amount. That was what a horrible way to die. Yeah, it's kind of like when they used to pour oil on people in medieval times, isn't it? The, chi- the chicken version. Yeah. Would you rather die have... that way or via the Judah? I mean, a part of me is thinking... Probably the Judah. I wonder what it now tastes like. It was in a they, rack, so I bet there was all kinds of like nice herbs and spices in there already. They definitely still served it. They, were, they weren't throwing that away. <laughs> I'll, I'll carry on quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Branson will fly into space on July the 11th, beating rival Jeff Bezos by nine days. Like the modern Cold War, those two. I can't be the only one thinking, I hope he doesn't get back. <laughs> no, you're not the, alone there. The, the opposite Alex of- isn't on here. The opposite is like an Apollo film. You're actually cheering on that the spacecraft doesn't make it. Hey, we on a movie madness a few weeks back. We spoke about the classic film Thunderpants, if you can remember that. Rupert Grint uh, flying a rocket ship by his farts. (laughs) I don't remember the film. I remember the book. Watch it in the cinema. Classic. Um, Lorry driver shortage threatens Haribo sweets. They're threatening fucking everything at the moment. My uh, in turmoil because I've got no driver. Jack's bringing the office here. Bringing the office <laughs> to the pod. Um, Bay Area police sergeant played Taylor Swift to get protesters' videos copyrighted if they were uploaded. Genius, that is. That is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, unless they upload it on mute. Um, foolproof plan. There was a tie in the Washington eating contest after 34 burgers were consumed by two people in 10 minutes. That's 34 each, by the way. That's incredible. You'd be heartbroken, wouldn't you? And Alex would need a few grapes for the pod. Real shame. Over 25,000 has been raised for the crying German girl who was trolled during the Euros. I think we have seen behind the headline on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the fact nonce was trending earlier wasn't a good sign for him. <laughs> I mean, I saw it trending alongside Gwen Doozy. I wondered if Arsenal's <laughs> transfer business had taken a turn for the worse. Um, Adelaide kite surfer charged with molesting whale. How? How do you molest a whale? Some things we don't need the answer to. That's what we don't need to read behind the headlines. <laughs> <laughs> Man in Florida town reportedly pretending to be a firework late at night ahead of holiday weekend. <laughs> Took Katy Perry a bit too literally, didn't they? <laughs> you see your neighbours go mentally, and that's the explanation. Um, <laughs> toy advertised as kids friendly in Taiwan sings Polish rap about cocaine. Start murdering. Massachusetts man collects his second one million lottery jackpot. Ugh. That's disgusting. British man becomes first in the world to break his penis vertically while having sex. Yeah, no. Don't want to hear that. Yeah, some, some early news of the week I gave you yesterday. 
Oh, didn't you treat us? Doctors in the UK recorded the first known case of a penis breaking vertically during sex. Forty-year-old man's member buckled against his partner's peri- oh. perineum or the area between the anus and genitals before a three-centimeter ah. tear opened at its base. Ah. You've taken far too much enjoyment in telling us this. Three. It's, uh, I I feel like it's one where if I have to read it, then so do you. Nice. That's good of you. Three centimeters is a lot in that context. That depends who he is, I guess. It's more than I would fancy having off. Is that is that the type you want as well? That's some uh, being told, well, you're the first person this has ever happened to. Is that making you feel any better? I'm not sure anything's making you feel better. <laughs> I'm not. Um, Texans eat pickles at the movie theatre and are surprised to learn that no one else does. You'd like that to catch on, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I've, uh, me and Sam, the subway sneak into the cinema, which was foolproof. Even a little system where uh, we formed, like his bag could carry the, the the cups of drinks in there without them leaking. He'd have to, like he was carrying a bomb into the cinema. But yeah, I've had pickles, pickles in my subway before and uh, brought it into the cinema. And the trick that uh, it tastes nicer if you don't eat it during the trailers and wait for the film to start. That's science, by the way, as well. It tastes nicer if you eat it during the film. You're going to be rustling. I just know it. No, not me. It's all nicely laid out in your lap. Tuck away. Nice little hearty Italian. Louisiana neighbourhood overrun by a mob of ducks. Great stuff. I did see a quote from this, and they said um, it was cute at first. Now it looks like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> it said people are being trapped inside their houses. <laughs> We've got the emu war all over again. Kevin. Exactly. How many ducks do you reckon it take to take you down? No. This is another Godzilla. I, I can't really, in my head. Real uh, kind of think about how big ducks are because like, I shit it if I see like a seagull flying towards me. It's like o- over here, ducks are kind of like those little mallards that you see and you feed, whereas over there, they're like huge, aren't they? How old were you when you found out that you weren't supposed to free- feed bread to ducks? To be fair, it's probably like a couple of years ago. I was gonna say, I used to do that all the time when I was younger. We used to go down to Stroud Park and uh, chuck them some bread. They didn't stop eating it either. Maybe it's like us eating McDonald's, like you shouldn't it's, eat it. But It's weird that you say that because as soon as you said that, my mind just went to Stratford Park. Yeah. Uh, going down to feed the ducks. You know, there, there, was a, there was a thing there. Um, there was a little like thing in the park and it was almost like uh, a seat that you sit on and I can't think of any other way to describe it. It's, it's like on a mini... rail. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, my brother got his hand caught in the joint of it while he was going round, like the, the skin like trapped inside it and obviously couldn't stop the thing moving around because he couldn't pull his hand out yeah, in a bad way once he eventually did manage to pry it out <laughs> what, was, what was the damage? Uh, nothing, I think it was just it just looked all mangled but he didn't break anything or anything like that just, uh, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was crying <laughs> Probably allow that. 
Yeah. Finally, worried taco truck owner calls his best customer after she hasn't shown up for months. Um, turns out she was okay. Um, she just uh, had some surgery. But is there any takeaways that you order from where you think that the people would genuinely be like concerned if they didn't hear from you? I think this is a question to yourself, isn't it? This, this yeah. isn't. I was, I was thinking, and I don't know if they'd be concerned in that way. But the the lowest point I've had recently is I ordered a Domino's, and um, they gave me the large pizza and uh, chicken kickers, and uh, he turned the bag vertically because he was surprised he was only taking two boxes out, <laughs> just to make sure like there wasn't anything he left in there. <laughs> wasn't a good feeling. Um, just assumed there would be a little like garlic pizza bread or something alongside it. I don't have to see. He was like, only two boxes, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not ideal. Anyway, plenty to get into. As I've said, if we start with the thing that we all want to talk about, and that is England progressing to the final four of Euro 2020. I think even the most confident uh, ones of us here were certainly unnerved when we did top the group and we saw the one of the teams we were going to be facing out of uh, France, Germany or Portugal got past Germany. Did wonder on Friday if we were going to trip up, if Jack had jinxed us. Four minutes in, put that to bed. And uh, here we are, ready to face Denmark. So much like we did on Friday, I've got kind of the talking points of the game on Friday and how that corresponds with... Uh, how we should set up or how we should go into the game on Wednesday. So we switched to four at the back for this one. That was the main kind of point of contention going in. Uh, eventually, the news kind of broke. We weren't going to match up uh, Ukraine. We were going to go with the four. What do you think we should do this time? Denmark have played a five at the back the whole way through. They've been particularly strong with their fullbacks. Uh, Mailer being their highlight. And for those that watched the game before ours on Saturday, he put in that peach of a cross, which it's not like Twitter to overreact, but I did see several say it's one of the best crosses of all time. Mm. Um, what do you think we should do? I, I think we should go at five at the back because there were times against Ukraine when they got the ball wide and they did seem to have a man over a lot of the time and a better team could make a lot more of it. They did get in behind us quite a bit as well um, with that system. I know they switched to a 4-3-3, like, was it midway through the second half? Yeah. Um, and Denmark do it better than they do. I mean, we're coming up against a different beast as well. We're coming up against a team that can do damage, as we've seen this tournament. And they've got decent players in that team. It's, it's not an easy game by any stretch. Um, we, sorry. No, I just think yeah. I think I personally would go to five at the back. It worked really well against Germany. Um, just goes to show our versatility, doesn't it? We can do either. Yeah, we were speaking on Saturday, TK, and we said it's it's almost alarming how many people think that Denmark are just another Ukraine, and mm. kind of we should already be starting think starting to think about the final. Do you think? Uh, we've, we've spoken about other opposition where we've said, worry about ourselves. Do you think Denmark are a case of that or we should be thinking about matching them up? 
we are the better team, aren't we? So in yeah. theory, at least you could say, look, go out and play our game and, and we'll do it. But predominantly our success has been on playing the opposition. I think Ukraine, we were, we were just a bit better than it. And it did look like a game too many for them, to be honest. I thought they'd have done quite early. Um, and for Denmark, were, they were looking sharp in that Czech Republic game before. And so I think we probably are... I think we probably will try and match up to them a little bit, which as long as we don't make it too much about concerning ourselves with what they can do, I think uh, I think we should get through. But there is, as you said, a, a very real possibility we underestimate them, I think. Only it's got a similar vibe. I saw someone say this and then I initially disagreed and then I was coming around more to the idea. I saw someone say that it has got the feel of, of like the Croatia semi-final, where there was a kind of feeling of, okay, these are good, but the final against like a France or whatever would be our real biggest test so as, as much as I don't think this Denmark team is quite as good as that Croatia team I don't think they're a mile off to be honest um, Well if we kind of do our team selection as such that we're assuming it's going to be uh, a five then we would say Pickford nailed on in goal Luke Shaw had a great game on Saturday You, it's hard to see a situation in which he's dropped in, unless he's injured centre-backs Maguire and Stones are clearly the first two choices. Would we expect it to be Walker, right centre-back, and then Trippier in again? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because Rhys James didn't do a lot wrong, but he also didn't do enough to force his way into the thinking, you would imagine. No. no I'd say that Trippier has been faultless. been one of our mm. better players as well. And yeah, as much as I'm a James fanboy, I think, Trippier has done more than enough to keep his pace in the team. In the middle of the park then, Declan Rice seems to be the guy that uh, Southgate has as kind of the base of his midfield. That seems to be the guy that he selects first. In terms of Calvin Phillips or Jordan Henderson, what do we think should be the call and what do we expect to be the call? I think I would personally put um, Phillips in again. I mean, his legs. Yeah, I agree. Next to Declan Rice, he covers a lot of ground. Um, and who's better to bring on if you need to see a game out than Jordan Henson? So I think it would work well that way around. Um, you want to, I think, mean, if you look at the way the Danes are going to line up with Hoiberg and Delaney in the two, it's a very physical midfield. And you want someone to be able to battle and win that. I think Rice does that. And then he wants someone mobile to get around them. And I think Phillips is the perfect person for that, really. What do you think, TK? Because I think it's kind of similar to the Reese James situation, do you think, where Hendo hasn't done a lot wrong, but he also probably hasn't done enough to break away from the midfield that's got us this far? No, and I think it's very, very difficult to drop Calvin Phillips. I think yeah. he's been one of our best performers in the tournament overall, so... I think it even comes down to probably sends up the wrong message, I think, if you drop him. Uh, Henderson has been good when he's been on, but it hasn't been like that we've suddenly been a completely different team once he's been on the pitch. I wouldn't say his impact's been that big. It's been tough to judge as well, hasn't it? Because he has been coming on later in the game. It's not like we've seen a comparison where they're both starting in this tournament against fresh legs. So Henderson's been brought on largely to see the game out or even just to pick up some minutes regardless whereas the other two have been trusted to kind of come in and dominate the opposition. 
I've seen yeah. some say that we've we've lost control of the midfield when Henderson's come on each time. When I think you compare it, then it's largely been that we've been rotating a lot. We've been using our subs, and he happens yeah. to be one of them. It's not yeah, we brought Henderson on and we suddenly surrendered the game. It, it was the opposite argument before with Henderson that yeah, that record of our wins with him and then when we would lose without him. And the argument was a lot that when he was there, we had a lot more control on it and it was more like, not quite like Liverpool, Henderson, but that sort of uh, mould. So I think that's a, a bit of a flimsy argument from people, but yeah. I, I don't really know that you can break up Rice and Phillips unless something dramatic changes. No, um, in front of them, Sterling is uh, cemented there, Harry Kane cemented there. Um, Jaden Sancho came in for Saka on uh, Saturday. Southgate said pre-game that, that Saka said himself that he was fit, but there was no need to risk him um, and risk we hadn't seen him in training. Do we think he comes back in? If it's a five, do we think, because you've got a whole list of names, it, it could be Sancho still there, it could be Foden. Uh, Grealish, I don't think it's going to be on the right. Mason Mount, maybe. Um, what, what do we think he does and what do we think he should do? Golden, golden question, isn't it? Like every Anything he does will be wrong. because yeah. be not, something... not anything. I can tell you the right choice. I mean, yeah, Sack is electrifying when he's been on and he's been brilliant when he has played. I think Sancho did well the other day as well. Glad to see him get some minutes under his belt. I think he's going to be so underused in this tournament. It's crazy for the talent that he has. But I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Because he got Mason Mount in there and had a decent game as well. So you can't dislodge Sterling. You can't dislodge Kane, obviously. I think Do you not think if he plays Mount on the right, then it's a case of squeezing him into the team rather than yeah, I'd fitting it, the bill, kind I'd of like square is. peg round but hole. I'd say like as a more balanced team, you can't dislodge Sterling being brilliant this tournament, and then it's who you want coming off that right hand side, and the choice is probably between Foden and Saka. And for influence on the tournament so far, you'd probably have to say Saka edges it. Um, the reason we've had for why it wasn't Grealish on the right, or whether it wasn't sort of like some other list of names on the right was that he needed pace in and around Kane. And Mount isn't slow, but, and someone can correct me here, if him and Grealish have a foot race, is, is, are we saying that he's going to starch Grealish to the point where he can be up front around Kane, but Grealish can't? No, it's not. It's no, quite that'd be similar, wouldn't they? That'd be similar. They are, they are well, I got the stats earlier, because once it was mentioned about him being on the right wing, I thought, Okay, I could see him doing this. He he played six games at right wing in his last 236 appearances. Uh, he's played three on the right of the midfield. Um, two were in the Premier League, one in the FA Cup, two in the uh, Eredivisie, and one in uh, the Premier League two. The FA Cup game was in the final against us. Um, he didn't have a goal or assist. The Premier League loss was against Liverpool 2-0. He had a goal and assist from the right in a win against Wolves, and the other ones were in the Eredivisie and uh, Premier League too. So the return looks decent in terms of numbers, but kind of the opposition there, it's not what you would put down to say you're going to be put in there. 
in this in the semi-final. Like the reasons you would have him in there, you would put Foden in there, say, for example. Yeah, I think Mount brings more to the team than it goes unnoticed. Like, the reason well, I'm not at all saying he, he doesn't bring anything to just from right midfield no, seems an no, odd one. No, I agree. I think it's he has to come off the left if he's going to be effective because he likes to cut in and yeah. his range of passing then when he's got someone bombing on past him is, is really good as we saw in the Champions League final. The right wing, I would rather Saka or Foden play than Mount if you're going to be putting him on the right wing. Is there a chance he shifts Calvin Phillips? I don't, I don't think so, personally. I don't know about you, TK, but I feel that that spine is something that he's re- been very reluctant to change, and I can't see him changing it now. I'm just trying to weigh up how much we think he is well, intent I, on having Mount in the team. I, I think he, upon reflection, I think he will keep the same team he played last game, but maybe put Saka in for Sancho. And I think that is an advert for how much he likes Mount. And I think instinctively he would want to go to the five at the back. And I think he genuinely might go, right, we're going to same again because this is the way to get Mount in the team. I know that sounds extreme, but no, no, other than I that, it's, it. like you said, I'm just playing him as a winger, and he's not going to really want to do that. So I think as a means of getting him in, that's what he's going to do, I think. I thought Sancho, he wasn't given much space to do a lot with the way um, they set up, but I thought commentators and pundits alike were trying to overlook any negatives and kind of force in that he had a great game. Like I saw some saying he's one of the best players on the pitch. He barely did anything. He didn't have a shot. I don't think he connected with a cross. I think we can be fair and say when we saw him starting, we were hoping for more than what he produced. I think it's like a lot of games I've seen Sancho in, to be honest, though. He's, I don't think he's, he's ever performed for England. Like We've never seen him in an England shirt. He's got, he's got obviously great feet. And I'm kind of wondering, all right, then. What's, where's this going to end? Where's, is it going to end in you playing the you know, the killer pass or the goal? And sometimes it does for Dortmund, sometimes it doesn't. And so far for England, it hasn't. I thought he was okay. Yeah, I was looking back today at um, kind of previous tweets I had of England games to see how much had changed. And in late 2019, I tweeted saying uh, Kane, Sterling and Sancho is such a great front three for England moving forwards. And then about half an hour later, I've tweeted, just get Sancho off now, please. (laughs) (laughs) And that pretty much sums up the excitement pre-game with him. And then it just hasn't quite translated into an England shirt for any kind of reasons. And we have plenty of players over the years. We, We could be here for hours naming them players that haven't translated their club form to international football. Um, I'm not saying he won't ever but he certainly hasn't done that so far. I thought it was a bit forced I think on when, Saturday, some of the commentary. When you've got players that fit into this team seamlessly and are performing well, like Saka and Foden, in that same position, is up for grabs on the right-hand side. I think you'd be silly to kind of mix that up. When you, yeah. You've got a winning formula. Why crowbar him in for the sake of it? That's like what you said, Jack, about him being underused. It's true, but it's also kind of just a reflection of the options we've got. And I think he's kind of the, just because of the style of player, it almost seems like the hardest to fit in. I would feel like he would need a run of games to get used to being in the team, whereby 
someone like Saka, I think you could throw into any team and it'd be good to go almost. Not yeah. to go full um, football manager, but oh, Sancho no. is very much like an inside forward, isn't he? Like he isn't trying to hug the touchline and beat the man. Whereas Saka and there's there's other English guys that we could have put in here and given it a go are very much pick up the ball, drive at the man, and they may lose the ball more often, but the intent is more there and you are pushing the opposition backwards. I, th- I think definitely. And I think when you've got Sterling on the form that he's on, on the left, he's drawing players over to him. You'd want that directness and that ability to run at people. I'm not saying Sancho doesn't have it. I'm just saying that Saka being left-footed does help. If Saka was right-footed, I think it's a different conversation. Just inverted forwards is the rage, isn't it? Especially if you're playing with wing-backs that aren't inverted, so you can have them overlap. So you've got the ability to cut inside, create space with the inverted forwards, or then pass it and cross it in with the like conventional wing. I saw an interview um, Peter Crouch did last week, and he was saying like, that he, he could never make it in today's game, because as time's passed, wingers now do just look inside far more. He was like, the reason he was able to have a career was that the wingers he played with were essentially beating the man and whipping it into the box. And he yeah. said he'd be going mental if he was standing in the box and you've got like a, a Grealish or someone like that mm-hmm. cutting back inside to, to play into the middle and try and go that way. Like it just wouldn't work. So, we, saw it, we saw it though for the first goal against Ukraine where Sterling picks up the ball, comes inside, takes three players out of the game and slides it through to Kane for the first goal. Like that I is don't... what football is now. I don't think I've ever heard TK as impressed as with that Sterling pass. I just I just did not see him doing it. I, was thinking, <laughs> I did not think he's got this in his locker. <laughs> it, yeah, it was it was very impressive. I guess one of the big things is how fit Saka is. A couple of times this season, um, he he's been about as durable as I've seen a player at this age, which may work against him down the line. But I think I quoted uh, in the week that he had like the third most minutes of any under-21 player in Europe. So I'd imagine if if they want him to play, then he'll be able to play. It, it's, it's just if that's what Southgate wants or not. I guess we'll we'll see. The good the good news is that Kane seems to have kicked on after the group stage rather than what happened in the World Cup. Hopefully yeah, that lasts. That's the way round you want it as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's definitely the way round you want it. That shot just... took on with his left foot. Oh, almost went into the top corner. I just thought, yeah, we've got him firing again now. And if he, that's another arsenal to have. Like if you, if you've got a low block and the ball pops to Kane now, he's going to be full of confidence and taking those shots on. I'm, I'm just glad none of us were calling for his head after two games. I was <laughs> we'd be feeling pretty foolish. I had him as my head play top scorer, didn't I? <laughs> Which could happen. <laughs> I mean, if we have a look look at Denmark before we continue, I mean, they're well organised, solid, right from kind of goalkeeper in Kasper Schmeichel. You've got Delaney and Hoybier, as you said, uh, Jack, and then a combination of uh, Dolberg, Braithwaite. Paulson up top, Dolberg has been the guy for them uh, this tournament. They're not going to be a knockover job. I do think 
it's all about how England make it, isn't it? I think this is a game they can make comfortable. And I think if England go ahead, then they should play the game out. It's if we go behind here. And so the question I had for you first, TK, is is it an issue that England haven't gone behind yet? If we just never go behind, that'd be great. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was... It's been facetious in terms of that you could see it being a case that we could do the same against Denmark. Not saying we're going to rattle in four goals, but we could beat them without conceding and then find ourselves in the final with the Italians or whatever, where it's very, there's a very strong possibility we we might concede. So I can see what you mean. Uh, I, I do think there is something to that, just in terms of it's a different mentality when you go behind and have to chase it. And I don't think we would have beaten the Germans had we gone 1-0 down, for example. Uh, and I know we'll be more confident than we are now because we've beaten them now and because we just rattled in past Ukraine. Yeah. But it, I, I do think, actually, in an ideal circumstance, it might sound odd, but we would go behind early against Denmark and bring it back. But that is if you're literally designing how you get there. Don't, you know, there's yeah. absolutely <laughs> no point in doing that. You know, we'll take any win we can. Just because you wouldn't want to be in the deep end and final and go behind. I do think it would ask some questions of the mentality because so far this squad being careful and cautious works fine, but kind of having to switch up a gear is a, is a hard thing that you watch club teams all the time struggle with, you know, changing it up. If they come into a game hoping for a draw and they go behind, it becomes very difficult to suddenly switch gears. Yeah. And Jack, um, so Denmark have won two of their three visits to England this century. What it's worth pointing out that only last year we did lose a friendly <laughs> to a friendly against them. Yeah, I see. But the question I had was is it as simple to say that maybe the big advantage for England is is going to be freshness when you think of the minutes played, the the fact that we have been able to get ahead in some games and kind of take your foot off the gas. And when it gets to this stage of the tournament, it is kind of who can get the most men on the pitch. So I, I've kind of had a look at Denmark's run and I've had a look at the way they've played and how many minutes they've played and like the level of performances in these games as well. And I look at it and they've been playing since the Christian Eriksen thing. They've had, on the, on the crest of something special, they've been playing it 110% every single game pretty much to get these results. They've fought hard, they've been intense from minute one to minute 90 and like you said they haven't had the luxury even even when they could have against like teams like Russia where they could have stepped back a little bit and controlled the game, they thought no no we're just like yeah. full passion, we're going for it Christian sprinting onto a ball and scoring from like 40 yards in like the 70th yeah. minute, so sooner or later they are going to run out of steam and there's only so far that passion gets you. And I've analysed their route as well, and that they obviously lost to Finland and Belgium, and then they've played yeah. Russia, and then who else have they Czech had? Republic, Czech, Czech Republic, Czech Republic, Wales. And Wales. So I know Wales for us is a, is a different proposition because they raised their game against us, but those are teams that you expect them to beat and expect them to beat comfortably, any decent team to beat. We've already beaten the Czech Republic ourselves. Yeah. But they've done that at 110% kind of passion and intensity. Whereas, like, we were making change. We brought five players on. We were just like, doing they... laps of, of honour in like the 50th minute against Ukraine. 
They looked so, a bit leggy in the second half against Czech Republic as well. It, it, exactly. When they got that goal in the Czech Republic, I know it was in the first half, but they didn't look like they had an extra gear to go to to try and kill that game off. It, if anything, it looks like Czech Republic were more likely to score. So I've looked at it and I think that when they come up against our defence, which like for all the conversations before the Euros has been absolutely impeccably solid, and even when teams have got behind us, it's just a simple block and we're we're out again we haven't really looked in danger too many times then if it's still nil nil come 50th minute i think that that plays into our hands 100 percent. now the difference is if they get that first goal and then they sit in and we've got to try and push and they can try and counter-attack us the first goal is massive in this game it's huge because TK. oh sorry i was just going to say it reminds me of the old chelsea days where under lamps where if you get the first goal we win 4-0 if we concede and we lose 1-0 because we just can't get through that block because we haven't been tested by that yet TK I was speaking to uh, our man Mori earlier for another <laughs> pod and uh, I said to him that I feel like it's almost been been doing somewhat of a disservice to Denmark that they keep calling this like a fairy tale for Ericsson and this kind of thing like, they've been a very good team kind of regardless of if he's been in the side or not, I think it's a bit unfair to kind of credit it to just being some kind of spirited, uh, like, upsetting of the odds for them to be where they are at the moment. Yeah, it's... I always find a bit of an odd thing that as well, though. It, I don't know if I'm seeming insensitive here, but did, what, did they not want to win games prior to him collapsing? I, I, I don't really get that Sunday we weren't really sure if we were motivated but now we're really really motivated and we're going to win all the games I don't quite see it to be honest so I think Jack's kind of just touched on it there that I think they kind of beaten teams they should do so far I think the Czech Republic wins a good win uh, and in the first half before really good not so much in the second half but the, you know like Wales for all everyone made a thing are a two-man team Russia's a, as bad a team as we probably saw in the tournament they lost to Finland. I know the circumstances weren't great, but they already won nil down prior to the Ericsson thing, weren't they? No, they weren't actually. No, no, no. But they weren't playing particularly great. I know that. I'm no, no, they weren't. Not great team, not playing great. Yet. So it's as much as they are, uh, I think they're a decent enough team who shouldn't be overlooked. I do also think that the fairy tale thing has been a, a nice story, but as you said, maybe. Uh, a bit of a sideshow to what's going on, which is a good team, probably not a great team. I won't ask for a prediction because I know how these things can go and hopefully people can read between the lines of what we've been saying here. But in the other side of the draw, we have Italy against Spain. Um, if we start with the report that I put in the chat yesterday, Mark Ogden of ESPN in his preview saying that Italy have done fantastically well to be where they are because then I quote, don't have a single world-class midfielder in front of their creaky defence. <laughs> <coughs> Hasn't Georgina just been shortlisted for Ballon d'Or as well? I don't think we'd mind having their midfield options, would we? Absolutely not. Verratti, Borella, Jorginho, international football is perfectly suited to him. When they can have like Locatelli on the bench is just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane. And typically, in, in times gone by, this matchup of the two midfields 
would be even more incredible than it's going to be. But it's going to be very interesting to see how that's handled tomorrow. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because you don't know what Spain you're going to get. You could see a Spain that's going to concede three and score five, or get a Spain that's going to struggle to score and concede none. Like it had been very odd. I think it might be some one from Column A and one from Column B there. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's I'm been looking forward to seeing game. Pedri against the, those midfielders. Yeah, he's great. You've he's also got, got Morata against a mobile age, Jack. I know. He can Morata. stink the gaff out worse. <laughs> Morata is just hilarious. Like, it's just sad. It's, I'm, I'm beyond hilarity. I feel for him. It's just everything that we saw at Chelsea and more. He just hasn't changed a bit. He'll score a brilliant goal that you don't expect him to score. And he'll miss like eight guild edge chances in a game. And well, there was the game against Croatia, or maybe in the game before. Roma Hayes was on commentary and she was kind of beating the drum for him the entire game as he missed about eight chances. But he scored the one and she was like, See, I've been telling you what he can do. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, his builder play was pretty decent and he gets himself into the right areas. And yeah, and a lot of these games, yeah. Has done everything by the finish. Yeah, but there was one that just summed him up perfectly where he's harried the Croatia left back, he's nicked the ball off him, then he sprinted through into the penalty area and then did nothing with it and then got the ball nicked off him just before he was about to shoot on the six yard line. And like that just sums him up, just does everything so well and then just loses that confidence. Would you be shocked if it came out in future years that? He was just like a money laundering pawn. When you look at the money that's been put on him in his career, like if he was just like some rusty warehouse that people, I don't know, understand why this keeps being sold for like 20 million a pop. <laughs> the thing is, he charms you. Like if, if you're a scout and you see like a few good games of his, you go, okay. And then you get. I'm not sure. Like we aren't professional scouts. And if I could yeah. have someone from. Uh, Juve, come and have a word with me, say, Mr. Man on the street. Do you reckon we should pay 80 million for Morata? I'd say <laughs> probably not. And they go, oh, well, you know, we've got some good highlights here. If you check his YouTube, I'd say, if you, if you like a YouTube compilation, compilation, there's a French bloke at Chelsea, he's perfect for you. <laughs> Italy are looking better defensively as well. And do we think that's going to be? the difference in this one because neither have looked fantastic moving forward but Spain when they've been bad at the back if Pau Torres starts alongside Laporte that looks like that looks like an Arsenal defence of two three years ago yeah I feel like Pau Torres' value has only gone down in this tournament it has not been the shot window he wanted it to be especially when your alternatives Eric Garcia Mm. yeah covers a bear there aren't they yeah, it probably is on the on the balance of it that two teams that like to have a lot of the ball, like to control the game, can sometimes strangely rattle in a lot of goals and sometimes look like they're not going to score however many chances you give them. But Italy do have just that bit more solidity, don't they, that you'd think if it's a close one, you'd probably bat them. You'd probably bat Spain to make a mistake before you bat Italy too, wouldn't you? Well, Spain have now played 180 minutes in the last two games as well. 
Yeah. And on both ends of the spectrum, you've got the young legs of Pedri and the old legs of Busquets that neither are probably best suited to that level of game time in such a short space of time. If anyone had to put money down, would anyone be putting it on Spain? No, no, I wouldn't be. Would you put it on both teams to score? I, would, I think I would. No, no, I don't think so. Italy 2-0, I think, is what I'll go for. Mm. One early, one late. I'd, I'd place the bat and then I'd see Morata stood next to Chiellini and be like, what am I doing? What have I done? <laughs> if we have a look elsewhere then, so in the space of a week, so Spurs do, know, do now have a new manager. It took 72 days, thorough discussions with at least six different candidates and one huge fan backlash, but Spurs do now have a manager. Nuno Espirito Santo was appointed last Wednesday, two days after Alex was uh, relieved to hear that it wasn't going to be him on the Monday podcast. Um, Who he always wanted. <laughs> they sacked Jose on April the 19th and uh, I saw it described on The Athletic, I believe, it as a consequence of bad timing, pursuing frustrating dead-end deals and a confused thinking arriving from the appointment midway through the process of new managing director, Fabio Paratici. Um, Sancho, the task that he has now is huge, and especially so by the fact that he knows that he wasn't the first choice or even close to being the first choice. If you're in his shoes, are you gutted that you were the sixth choice or is it a chance of say you're the sixth choice and uh, you're the sixth man in the line to get with a supermodel and the five before turn her down and you're I was number a, six I was about to say that look, if, if you've just seen a, a girl in a nightclub who's probably a little bit better a little bit above your league not outraged but a bit above your station she's just initially gone up to five different blokes they've all turned her down she turns to you do you go you know what? Yeah, I think, I'm amazed when I'm not sure, turning to me. <laughs> I'm not sure my ego can take it. I think you go, no, you know what? It's fine. I'll, I'll take this. I think Nuno was probably looking and thinking, I could be going to Palace or Everton here. I'll take this. It's fine. Well, at one point, it was this or Fenerbahce. He heard about what Ursula was like in training. It was like, I don't need that. Even as the old Alley instead. <laughs> <laughs> in the process, then they were. Flirting with Pochettino, as it's been called. They tried winning over Conte and he found his self-respect. Um, Fonseca, they claimed, wasn't forthcoming enough in the interview, is what they're saying now. Not a case of uh, financial issues. And supposedly, two weeks before, they were saying that Santos' style of football is too negative and then they've appointed him. So, who knows? The Gattuso won their fans went mad because of all the news stories that got dug up of him being homophobic, sexist, and so on, and so on, and so on. Some saying they wouldn't have him because he had better Joe Jordan, so there we go. I wonder if Conte had done all those things, it'd be so horrible. <laughs> I, I do wonder. On a scale of 1 to 10, 
how are we ranking this appointment of Spurs? And I'll say this on the basis that if on April the 19th, the day Jose was sacked, if you were told Santo was going to be the guy, so this is before you've had the chance to be linked with Conte, but I imagine you also may have had your hopes higher regardless. I'm going to say a seven. Seven? It's not inspiring, but I don't know who they could have got that was better than him. That is literally the perfect way to sum it up. Because when when you look out there, for the money that they've got to spend and how much they do like to spend, they're not going to attract the upper echelons, hence why the Conte talks broke down. Think, I think. Do you not think Spurs fans were thinking that on April the nineteenth when they sacked Jose? You've got to be thinking, we've got someone in mind that's better than what we've got. I think, yeah, I think honestly they would have thought that they would have had someone lined up, especially like two days before a cup final as well. <laughs> I think it's a six uh, push if you're a Spurs. If you are, if you told them on April the nineteenth, I'm from the future. I can tell you now, your new manager is going to be Nuno Santo. I think the majority would be disappointed. I think, obviously, Santos' stock has gone down massively last Mm. season, but the season before, when he actually had players that could play football, as in, or put it in the back of the net, as in Jota and Neto, then they actually looked a decent outfit. If you're Spurs, didn't have any goals. And you're the size of the club that, that you think you are, that you're supposed to be. You're one of the Super League clubs, remember? You don't think you're only picking from managers that are available. You think you're of a certain stature where you can also pro managers away from their clubs as hard as that can be. And even if the managers that are were available, even if Nuno was available then, he probably wasn't the best out there realistically. Like, Sari would have been a better option than this. Would he? I don't know. I'm, I'm backing Sari to have success with Spurs more than I'm backing Nuno to have success with Spurs. I, I might back Nuno to last longer. Yeah, that's but true. I think you are. Yeah, I think you'll have a higher high with uh, Sari. I think you're probably there or thereabouts with that. I think, I think like, you could be fatally undermined with Sari though, because of just the reputation he had with Chelsea. I think it's it's difficult to walk into Spurs after that. Even in Premier League managers like Harson Hootel, Potter, I, <laughs> if I was Spurs, I'd have had over this. Would Spurs fans? have preferred Santo or Roberto Martinez I'm not sure would Spurs fans have preferred Rafa or, or uh, Santo I'm, I'm not sure I don't, I don't really know like from their perspective not going for Hassan who was a big miss I do think I know Southampton had a bit of a fall off but he's at least got a style of play or whatever that you think could lend itself to being what Spurs were after I'd take him at Arsenal today <laughs> yeah yeah I think he, he's a funny one isn't it in terms of how his stock went it kind of went from did he get sacked to Suddenly, everyone was saying this guy's yeah. the next guy. Then suddenly, a bit that we've gone down again. It's an odd one. <laughs> and not having a... Danny Ings next season is probably not going to help that either. <laughs> that's a good yardstick to use. Would you, if you replaced Arteta with Santo? No, you... I said that last week. I, I wouldn't do that now. When yeah. we before we got Arteta, then uh, I wanted Santo, and that was a dark time. I mean, we just got away from a disgusting man. Um, I I don't see Sant- Santo as an upgrade. I see, and probably naively thinking here, I've got to cling to what I've got. 
I see there being more of an upside with Arteta than what I would have with Santo at the moment, and I've seen how bad it can be with Arteta. I don't know um, judging that off though. Well, yeah, I mean, we won an FA Cup with him. I know, I, but I don't. I would rule out that you could win an FA Cup under Nuno. I'm saying I, it's not like to the point where I would sack Arteta now to bring Santo in. I, I don't see as enough of a difference. I reckon that that, that week after. He'd lost to Burnley. I reckon you'd have taken anyone, let alone Nuno. Oh, for sure. But I mean, objectively speaking, now I don't see that as a. If we were getting rid of Arteta, I would want someone better than Nuno Santo. If, if though, do you take Wolves from the Championship into Europe? That is, I would say that's a bigger achievement than Arsenal winning an FA Cup. For sure, but it's it's it's, it's different. It's different challenges, isn't it? Like, who's to say? Wolves weren't some minnow in the championship. They were a team we were looking at each year thinking, is this going to be the year they come back up? Like they were a Premier League team. Yeah, but there's they don't seem out of place for us now. There's doing what they did by finishing like what sixth or something like that. And then continuing the never dropped out of the top half finishes up until recently. Like, if you know. take if you take club position, if you take kind of club names out of it, do you think Nuno's a top six manager? It's, it's hard to say because he hasn't had the resources, but the resources he has, he has finished. No, this, that's a cop-out. He spent decent money at Wolves. Yeah, he just spent decent money. Four Wolves. It's all relative. They'll have in comparison more. to a lot of teams in the Premier League. Mm. The last couple of, The last couple of years, um, I may be out of pocket. I don't think their spending would be miraculously different to that, us and Spurs. That £30 million signing of that 19-year-old. Fabio uh, Silva. Fabio the Silva. world was looking at him, though, and it's like it's a case of if you don't get him now, then you're going to be paying more for him down the line. Mm. That really did hurt him. When we talk oh, about no. that spend wars. They, they weren't... Before Jimenez got injured, ripping up trees this season. No, it's it's going to be interesting. I think we'll have an idea. We might not have an idea actually, but Spurs because it's such chaos. But uh, I got the sense that him or Wolves was just it had gone stale. It just manager had just been there a few too many years now, and he needed a change. And it would have been good for both of them, them to get a new manager, him to get a new challenge. Yeah, I don't know whether Spurs is the right one for that. I mean, this is. Having just lost Harry Kane, you would assume would be probably the first thing that's going to happen to him. You don't know, but you would assume Kane would probably go. So that's, well, that's tough. You're already a pretty significant step back there. I'm not saying he's a he's a bad manager because that would go against everything I've ever said about him on here. I just don't think I don't he's think this he's enough of an upgrade. I think is the situation. Yeah, and that would be your situation I mean. with Arteta. Is that he's probably better than him now but is he enough better to justify sacking him and I think that's probably why Spurs are right is, he, is this guy okay he's a good manager but is he you know enough better than what we had to justify all this that we've just gone through I guess there's, there's a question over that there's enough vague unknowns for me still with Arteta that I feel I've got a pretty good scope of what I'm getting from Nuno that I at least can wait to see a couple of things with Arteta play out this is one of those that could age horrifically for you. For sure, but but I, I at least would rather know than 
I think I actually think that's half of what keeps Arteta in a job is that there is some element of we still don't know how it's going to play out for him. So he's kind of going. No. Imagine if you've just never done like a like the manager's job in your life. Be like, well, I don't know. I don't. What? Whereas we kind of have an idea with a lot of managers what they their pros and it's cons. It's not are. like I'm a guy either that is hell bent on wanting him to stay. Like if I was offered now and I was given the vague words of it'll be an upgrade, I would take it. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I don't see this as that, and so there are enough there that I'm like, okay, I'll wait and see how this plays out. Um, and that's just where Nuno wouldn't fit in. I think the Spurs fans, if at the time they were told Jose is being sacked and this is the guy that's coming in, it would have been pretty muted. Like, uh, look at Alex and Sean's reaction when he was linked. I think that's. <laughs> I the problem is we're also. And you, I know you've tried to, in your phrasing as a question, try to take this out. But in the terms of their reaction, it's impossible to take out the Conte thing. So, and because it got looked like it got a little bit close, it wasn't just like it was, he was leaked. At one point, I remember you running the groups of like, for fuck's sake, it's happening, isn't yeah. it? I think once you have that in your mind and you're dreaming about it, this is going to be, this is, I think Nuno is about the level of what a Spurs manager should be. Conte was always a dream, but obviously when Alex you, when you stole the dream, on here turned his nose up at Sari, Rafa, and um, yeah, that's Martinez. That's exactly what I mean. Whereas I think yeah. all of those are, are about right for Spurs' level. But I mean that was pre-Conte linked. It's true. Like, but I, but this I mean is that. the week. This is the week Jose was sat. We first spoke about it. And we said about the names that were linked. And he said it's, he didn't want any Chelsea rejects. Then we said we yeah. to Martinez. And he was sort of... But I mean, I don't think the disappointment is quite to this scale if you oh, don't okay, have yeah, contact. Yeah. If he does put one of those in, you know, the week after Jose's been sat, for example, yeah. I think they're a bit underwhelmed, but I don't think it's quite like this one, where they're now like, well, we've gone through weeks and about 20 different applicants just to arrive yeah. at the guy we probably could have got to begin with. Probably helps that Gattuso was linked the week before, you know. <laughs> if I was a Spurs fan, I'd have rather hit just because of the chaos that could have ensued. It could have been great, could have been awful, but there's an unpredictability to it, whereas Nuno feels a bit safe in, in contrast. That's what I said when we signed David Luiz. I was like, I'm fully aware of how this could go. I'm also, if we're going to be shit, I'm full on board to see if we shit with David Luiz. I said him and Socrates was like the box office partnership of my dreams. And I did get to see it briefly. And I, I, I do miss him. Um, if we move on then. So this week we did have confirmed that uh, Jaden Sancho has moved to United now. Confirmed for somewhere in the region between 73 and 85 million. Um, I guess we're, we're all pretty bored of this now by the time that it has actually got done. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it's carried from last season, hasn't it? So yeah, it's been one of those where sort of finally they've announced it. And we kind of shared our thoughts on Sancho earlier, but good signing for them, you'd say. Yeah, I'd, I'd say he's better than what they have in those areas currently, and it's about the going price, isn't it? For up and coming winger, I think if we haven't if we haven't signed Pulisic, we'd have gone in for Sancho big time. But Would he have picked Chelsea over United? He was a Chelsea fan growing with up. With your so chest. He's, he's yeah. 
he he said it in the interviews, like idolised Frank Lampard. So if Frank was the manager last season, he went from I reckon he would have. But and my prediction at the start of this year was that he was going to end up at Chelsea. Yeah, I think as well. Like, I mean, Champions League winners just that, that's been forgotten because the Euros, but still the champion. Champions of Europe currently, so I think you would probably choose Chelsea. I think it's we're more, right, we can forget that. I think it's a more, <laughs> more attractive proposition as well than playing under Tuchel, but I think for United, I think he brings that ability to run at players um, that they've lost maybe through Rashford's form, potentially they don't have that, but he has the ability to create something out of nothing, which is exactly what he's going to have to do, because he's not in a team that likes to keep hold of the ball and like how that, that that team is ridiculously. You, you take each individual in that team, and like Pogba and France form, for example. But when they play for United, it just hasn't clicked since Fergie left, and I just can't get my head around why. TK, should United fans expect an instant impact? Yeah, yeah, he's been playing a, a Champions League playing team, which. It's foreign for United, I know, but he's, he's a very good player. <laughs> for that money, yeah, they they should be expecting him to fairly well hit the ground running, I think. I, I know we often give allowances for someone who's been playing in a foreign league sometime, and he should be given some, but not a lot, really, in, in the grand scheme of things. And I, I do think it's a good signing for them in terms of for all the players they've got. I don't think any of them really like playing on the right. The only one who's half decent there is Mason Greenwood who they've all saying they want ultimately through the middle so if you take that into the account Rashford isn't as good off the right Martial isn't as good off the right so I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, filling a problem for them I would say that uh, a central midfielder and a centre half I know that's going to be quite costly all of those but those are the three problem positions for them I would say so that's one one whole field I'm looking forward to seeing how the same people that judge Pepe's first season judge Sancho's because uh, I was told 20 goals should have been the minimum for him. Hmm. Uh, 72 million. He's we, more expensive. We're going to have a weird situation with um, Sancho, whereby he's an expensive Man United sign. And so on the one hand, people are going to want to slate that, but he's English. So on the other hand, people okay. are going to want to find some way of making out mediocrity is actually really, really good. Yeah. Um, or maybe he'll be great and we'll all have to swallow our words anyway. <laughs> Uh, Barca looks to be taking a, a note from the Arsenal handbook here as they're willing to release Bosnian midfielder Miril Pjanic and 27-year-old French defender Samuel Mtiti from their contracts as neither player fits into manager Ronald Koeman's plans. Uh, Spurs have been linked strongly with uh, Miril Pjanic. Uh, originally, it was to be a loan signing and paying a portion of his wages. That was a weird transfer when it happened, and it's the an even weirder transfer now he's leaving. I just, just that who, was it was just, a swap deal. It was a swap deal, wasn't it? Who did, it was the swap deal know? with cash either side with um, Artur going where it. they essentially both admitted like this is to balance our books. <laughs> yeah, like it was just the weirdest transfer ever because Artur had actually been quite an integral part of that team as well that season. I remember seeing oh, it come up and I was thinking, Pjanic it. Barca just doesn't seem right. No, would you call it, would you go as far as it would be a coup for uh, Spurs if they were to get him over the line, TK? (laughs) I mean, that's on the provision you're getting 
uh, Pjanic, who's motivated and isn't past his sell-by date. He's, what, 31 now? Didn't really give a rip when playing for Barca, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be more motivated by the prospect of joining Spurs, to be honest. So, in, in uh, from you can't question the talent, but I, I would seriously question whether he's the right guy for Spurs. From a Spurs perspective, it's better to get him on a loan, isn't it? Because as a free agent, he's going to be demanding a significant wage and probably a longer contract. Yeah, for sure. He definitely worth it. He's going to where you get that last contract, isn't it? And he's going to assume he's got Spurs over a barrel, so he's going to yeah. say, "Right, give me three or four years or whatever." So you have to be careful. I can see this. If Kevin Inger doesn't come off United, I can see him going to United, being on a ridiculous wage and him not giving a shit. <laughs> that, would be, that would be nice. Um, Tottenham and Barcelona are interested in Napoli captain Lorenzo Insigne, who starred for Italy at Euro 2020 with a 30-year-old yet to sign an extension to his contract that runs until 2022. <laughs> I just love how short it is. Was a, uh, uh, well, me and Sam were at the Italy-Austria game, as I've mentioned. He looks even shorter in person, like it was freakish. Really? And That's... we are, like as people have said before, I'm convinced just the tallest guy in the place does purposely stand next to him. <laughs> like, they had an interview the other day and they cut they just at the top of his head in the frame. <laughs> Before they adjusted the camera, it's just... It's best when they do the national anthem and they're scrolling across and then dip it low and then <laughs> yeah. lift it back up. There was a thing at Arsenal where they used to think there was some kind of conspiracy that Merzisaka would purposely stand next to Kazola to make himself look even taller. And it's like people are doing this with Insigne. It's exactly I right. think that could be a stinky signing. For anyone or just for us? Particularly for Spurs, but I think in the Premier League, it feels a bit of a cop-out to say he's too small for the Premier League, but we've seen far stronger wingers get pushed about. And usually you have less desire to adapt at 30 years old, coming to a new league. Yeah, I suppose there is that. I think he's kind of been shown to be sort of the nearly man as well, though, hasn't he? So I think... I think he could well come in and kind of continue that trend. Or he is quite good, but it's going to change the life of the it team. It was frustrating the, the hell out of us at that game because we were the end where none of the three goals went in, by the way. Um, <laughs> but right in front of us, we'd be on that goal where the ball kept getting shipped to him down the wing. He had all the time in the world and he kept cutting inside every single time. And that's in an international game when you have even more time and it's not working. So, I mean, not to write him off for one game, so I do like him as a player. I just think if you're going to be going out for a winger, there's probably younger, hungrier wingers that you can get cheaper. Then being linked with Marcus Turam seemed a more realistic option. Yeah, for sure. I can see Spurs being linked with loads of small, <laughs> fast players and then Adama Traore doing a deadline day switch. <laughs> I can see that happening. Um Barcelona will now accept less for Brazil midfielder Philip Coutinho than they paid Liverpool. Nice of them. I mean, they um, did pay like, what, 120 mil, didn't they? Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. When the 29 year old joined the La Liga side as his value continues to drop. Well, oh, actually, sorry, no. Um, I've read it wrong. 
Uh, Barcelona will now accept Leicester Brazil midfielder Philip Coutinho than they paid Liverpool in add-ons when the 29-year-old joined the La Liga side. Uh, so that makes they sense. still did pay a significant amount of add-ons, but yeah. they've been trying to get rid of him on loan for years and only Bayern Munich were willing to take him. I just find that mad that he's gone on loan to Bayern Munich, beaten them 8-2, they let him play. Didn't he score as well? He scored won, two. Yeah, won the Champions League with them and then went back to them for the following season. It, it's got AC Milan on loan all over for me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's yes. A great yeah. Shot. Even into now where they're essentially like we've won the league, we can just touch rest on our laurels again. So I could see him coming in there as well. Um, as Jack referenced, Man United are planning further talks with Wren about a move for uh, Eduardo Camavinga. Uh, but the Red Devils face competition from Real Madrid, PSG and Bayern Munich. Um, I did read when Arsenal were linked with him, although I never did consider it to be too realistic. But he is valuing minutes over kind of the status of a club, not to say United aren't in that status of club. There seems to be something with the business we've seen in the last couple of weeks or so with United that it's almost like Ed Woodward has realised like they are one of the biggest clubs in the world and they can probably get almost any player they want and they can actually go out and do that so them shopping at the likes of Real Madrid and for the best kind of wonder kids in the world interesting if they can pull them off um, I and think all, all the more think, interesting Solskjaer sorry may have the same issue Lampard had I think it's all well and good yeah, doing well sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no it's fine mate no it's what I was going to say is those protests I think it in the back of their mind where they've thought, fuck, we need to spend money this summer. And who I wish that would work for us. Man <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, United are preparing to offer 25-year-old England defender Luke Shaw a new deal. Um, I saw a tweet saying, we, we need league football back ASAP, as there was a tweet like, is Luke Shaw the best left-back in world football right now? <laughs> I, I saw a horrible stat. That Andy Robinson got more assists in the 18-19 season than Luke Shaw has got in his entire career. That was a freakish season, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it was, but still, his entire yeah. career left back. I mean, he's good and he's in a good vein of form, and I'm glad he is because it's coming into an England team. But I hope he goes back to being the fat boy that we all love to hate. <laughs> yeah, um, about the Premier League season. One for TK here. Um... Colombian midfielder James Rodriguez faces an uncertain future at Everton following the appointment of Rafa Benitez as Toffee's boss. Um, you were a bit bullish about James before the season, largely at Ertzel's expense, not to say Ertzel's had a storm of a season himself. But this, this hasn't worked for it, has it? 29 years old, stuck at Everton now. He doesn't even have Carlo to fall back on. Ancelotti has done him filthy, hasn't he? Absolutely filthy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. In fairness, I was only bullish in your argument about him versus Ozil. In terms of how I said it would go, I was pretty sure it was going to be a flop to the point where when he had a good first couple of games, I was actually a little concerned <laughs> that he might do quite well. well has that I, changed? I, would you still say him and Ozil are I would say it's a close, at the time I said it was a close debate under which I would have Ozil coming out on top of. And I'd say that's oh, pretty much... I thought you much. at the top of the time. That was my thinking. No, no, no. But you said he was... Levels was your was your. I still thing. do maintain that. Whereas yeah. I think I think the two of them prime for prime I think is a 
very close debate under which I would have Ozil coming out on top. But if someone really fought for Hamas, I would, you know, I wouldn't put too much of a fight. I'd say Ozil is the better one. But still, uh, yeah, to register an assist at Fenerbahce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his fall from grace hasn't been pleasant. So yeah, I mean, Hamas being stuck at Everton is just. Do I mean, you see another club taking him? Want him. Sorry. The gossip we had last week was that Carlo was going to make him his marquee signing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Madrid might riot. Because, like, not even Italian clubs have been willing to take him before. Like, it seems statement, isn't the it? clubs yeah. he's been going to have been the likes of, like, Bayern Munich, where they're like, we can take a punt, and if it goes well, ideal. If not, sound like a do Coutinho. But he may have to play his way out of Everton to get someone to come and buy him because uh, I don't see anyone punting on him no Liverpool Liverpool are also interested in Lille and Portugal midfielder Renato Sanchez but could face competition from could face competition from Arsenal were they to pursue the former Bayern Munich player you're not sold at him are you Uh... or you think it could be Tournament syndrome. It could be. I mean, if I'd just watch this tournament, I'd be saying, yes, go out and do whatever you've got to do to sign him. But I do have an awareness that football existed prior to this tournament. <laughs> he was questionable. So I think for the right price, I think he's going to be a great signing for someone. I just don't know how much that price is likely to be. I don't know what Lille can charge. I think he only started about 17 games in the league this season. Was that due to like injuries or was Injury, it just... Yeah. That's a concern. I think they will get cash room. They've they've shown um, in the Pepe deal alone. Yeah, um, they get cash. <laughs> yeah, and Sanchez is someone's going to stump up the cash for that. Um, Norwegian midfielder Martin Odegaard has all but confirmed he will not be returning to Arsenal next season. Um, yeah, Burnley manager Sean Dyche is making a bid to sign 31-year-old English winger Mark Albrighton from Leicester. I saw that and thought that probably is a perfect match at this stage. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Albrighton is a guy who's going to run himself into the ground for you. Dyche is a guy who players run themselves into the ground for. Matches up nicely. Great cross of a ball and he's got Chris Woods, so jobs are good. Burnley fans might be upset if, as uh, anticipated, Dwight McNeil could be off this summer. It, it, they, they, they'll hope he's not the replacement. Yeah, true, true. Looking like he could be off to Villa. If they don't get Smith. Who isn't which, off to uh, Villa? <laughs> yeah. They're not getting their grubby mitts on uh, Kevin de Croydon. And finally, Danny Ings turns down a new four-year contract at Southampton. The deal would have made him the best-paid player in Southampton's history, but a 28-year-old wants to test himself at a higher level. What are we thinking here is his level. If he was the replacement for Kane at Spurs, how good or bad does that go? I was about to say, I think that's the deal that probably makes the most sense on the face of it. Because I think he it's tough to replace Kane, obviously, and I don't think he's that good. But I think he would score enough goals and do well enough at Spurs that I, I think that would be the sort of the top end of his uh, level, if you like. 
that in, injury record just plays against him constantly, doesn't it? Mm. Kane has to say him, to be fair. Yeah. I think you get a bit more from Kane, though, between oh, for sure. breaks. But, Should, say, uh, say Everton come in for him, should he think he can do better than that in this stage of his career? That's a toughie, isn't mm. it? Because uh, like, Everton have sold us this absolute fantasy that they're in contention for top four every season, but yet finish outside <laughs> top eight constantly. The other suggestion I saw is that Leicester get him and bank on him being the Vardy replacement. That's not... I tell you what, no. That's that's the deal, actually. Do that. that yeah, that is. I like it. Cool. Even he is twenty eight though, and they just signed Pat from Dakar. Yeah, it would obviously depend on how much they'd have to part with for him, but I still like it. Yeah, I think you probably get him for under thirty, but and that's around the price you play you paid for Ollie Watkins, but also the same price you could probably get Tony for. Hmm. Interesting. That's the gossip I do have. So just to end uh, the evening, uh, we do have some uh, Poirier against McGregor talk. Jack, are you involved there or are you bidding us farewell? I'll bid you guys farewell. Good pod, boys. I'll see you later. Adios. All right, TK. Not too much to get into here. We'll focus on the main event and then perhaps do a kind of breakdown of the card next week if it's as good as we hope it to be yeah first things first to put you on the spot who do you think wins this Saturday it feels like um, a flip reverse I remember we did a preview well I touched on it a preview pod me you and Rory didn't we yeah part two and it feels like the total opposite to then whereby if I pick McGregor now is kind of going against logic. I feel like the logical answer is Poirier to do the same again. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to say McGregor gets him on the end of one of those punches that, that he did land in the second and gets him out of there. But I, I do feel like that's a. I don't know if heart over head. I wouldn't mind if Poirier wins, but it feels like I, I can't provide too many logical reasons for it. I think Poirier repeat. Is probably the favourite outcome in my mind, but I'm going to go with McGregor. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all that you said there. Mm. Um, when I close my eyes and picture it, I, I do see McGregor having one more kind of run at things um, yeah. and making yeah. a, and making a go of it. Um, in terms of the adjustments that both fighters need to make, blocking the leg kick seems a fairly obvious one for McGregor. You'd, you'd be remiss to think that Poirier doesn't at least try one early on in the fight and say, are you going to block these again or am I just going to do the same to you? And they've already started talking about, you know, potential shooting for takedowns and stuff as well, which you'd assume he's going to be mixing in. So Yeah, we, I mean, he, he took him down in the first one pretty easily, didn't he? I I know um, I know he's done a lot of content on it, but I know Chael did a video saying that no one was more shocked about that than Poirier himself. He said he wasn't aiming to actually get him down there. And he thought, oh my God, how, how have I yeah. found myself down here with you? Which McGregor looks shocked by. He, we know his poker face isn't always uh, up to much. His so defense is traditionally great as well. I, I do think, I'm not going to say, oh, he didn't train or anything like that. But I do think 
there is some element of complacency in there when you think it was hard for Khabib to get me down in terms of like the levels between these yeah, guys. Yeah. I don't see that he's going to be able to do it quite so effectively. Uh, and he, he traditionally, as much as probably mixes it up, he does tend to stand the bank, which McGregor probably thought, you do yeah. that with me and I'll get you out of there like I did the first time. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. If Dustin doesn't try all of these things, then he looks foolish for for not yeah. at least attempting it. Um, from McGregor's standpoint, I guess conditioning is always the first thing that we say he needs to be in shape for. Um, I thought it was quite telling when my brother messaged me after the first one saying, uh, McGregor wasn't even that tired. Uh, we'd had five minutes. <laughs> it's not like we were three rounds in. Like that's how it should be. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah. It, it was almost you. You were spoiled for seeing people say McGregor early or Poirier late. It was like, come on, this isn't that. This isn't the prediction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a cop out, isn't it? I guess McGregor just needs to dictate the fight early. You, you know he can get his hands on Poirier. Poirier isn't the hardest to hit. And I think for him, he just needs to be reckless with it. Not reckless is the wrong word. He needs to be confident in what he's doing because the last couple of fights, he's looked confident walking in and then he hasn't fought like a confident man. No, no. And he, he has lended himself to the rich men can't fight uh, narrative, hasn't he, by, by doing that. Uh, yeah. People are right in their sort of more technical breakdowns of him that when they look at it, that he is going, not that he wasn't always, but more uh, like straight up boxing heavy. Yeah. Whereas normally more nimble on the feet, more kickboxing ready. He's presumably all of his training is going to be have gone towards getting back on that. And I do think that will play a part that his, uh, he's going to have more, more fear of Dustin going in. I think in the training camp, whatever, he's going to be going thinking, not just of, of that, but of, it was kind of humiliating for him in a way in terms of the way he yeah. lost that one. In terms of base, basically getting knocked out, he was basically out, wasn't he? Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. And that's a slightly different thing in itself. And I do think you kind of alluded to it just now, but where does he go if he loses? I think this is there's a degree of last chance saloon to it. I mean, he can always get a fight, but if he's going to have another run at this thing, he can't lose. I did have a couple of questions on that with um mcgregor first of all i don't know how much or if it's a cop out to say you know where people say like we, we've seen with premier league teams where they're like they they were they got worked out as if it's kind of that simple to do mm. there at least was some kind of groundwork in that mcgregor for what he was at the time was quite individual and it was hard to prepare for um Going in, he, he used to do a lot with his feet, as you said there, with him being traditionally boxing. And in the Mendes fight um, in particular, he did a lot of spinning back kicks, he did a lot of kicks in particular, and he did the same with Poirier in the first fight, where his kicks would essentially be to just guide you where he wanted you to be to land his left hand. Yeah. And then he's hardly even throwing kicks these days, largely because he was facing someone like Khabib who he thought was going to take him down. I think we'll know a lot by how he acts in the press conference. Because on the one hand, you'd say after you've just been knocked out, it's a bit weird to be able to talk shit to someone. But at the same time, if you have knocked them out, then you perhaps do have more of a leg to stand on. 
And in terms of his kind of lasting, his star power, I think regardless of if he loses, as long as he stays talking shit, then it'll still work. Because Nate Diaz actually came out more popular than he did going into the Leon Edwards fight where he was beaten up for four minutes and 30 seconds. And essentially he kept the persona going and that was enough where people still want to see him fight in the main event again. There's, there's talk of him getting the next title shot against Kamaru Usman. Yeah, no, that's kind of crazy. That surprises me, that element. Because other than that last bit he's actually on the net, the problem is, is what you want, isn't it? And Nate has kind of always been the guy with losses yeah. on the record, but will scrap anyone anywhere and, and will jump in. Whereas McGregor was the guy, well, obviously he'd had losses prior to the UFC, but he could at least, he had a mirage of the people didn't even think he lost because they'd only watched him in the UFC. Yeah. But this guy hasn't lost. And he's the he's a belt holder. And he's, to a lot of people who, the casual audience, I, I don't like saying it, but to them, they yeah. think he's the best ever. And well, now even the, unbeaten in the UFC is a thing that gets said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Kind of the more losses were, whilst I've always been in line with you and that thinking of that, look, this guy can keep losing because he is just such a huge star that his popularity will be unaffected. I just think from his own point of view, I think he struggles to then get motivated for a fight if he can't at least sell it to himself that I could be the best in the division. And two losses to Warrior does rule out any chance that you could be the, the guy in the division. Well, he he did again as he does with all of his losses, where he says, "Look, I'm changing everything. We're going back to square one. We're going to be in the woods. We're going to be chopping trees and all this." <laughs> so he said in the last one that he was going to change everything going into this training camp. Um, he did buy a gym in California, I believe, which is a nice thing to be able to do when you're on his level. Just buy a gym. <laughs> but he also kept all the same coaches. Like he hasn't changed a single member of his coaching staff. And so you're essentially just changing where you're doing the same things rather than actually changing anything at all. I would I would back him to make those changes in terms of training. I, I know the maybe it's, I don't know if this is a played out reason, but with the with the second Diaz fight, he was able to change things yeah. in a way that people probably weren't sure he'd be able to in such turnaround. Well so I saw um, GSP was asked for a prediction, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'll go with uh, I'll go with McGregor. He's he's always great in rematches. He's one on one in rematches. He's uh, yeah. he's had two rematches, one to Nate and one to Dustin." Yeah, this this was my thing that people kind of say that it was. I do think it's become a bit almost cliched in it, but at least I can I can see the argument for how I went about that. Nate rematch was impressive and kind of in a way that you probably didn't think he was probably going to be able to. Like if you said to me going into that fight, yeah, this is going to be a five-round war and Connor's yeah, going to get yeah. left at the end of it, I'd have probably said I don't believe that's possible. No. The leg kicks has been the trick to beat Diaz though for <laughs> since time began. Yeah, I'm not sure. So it was just out. as to whether he would do that, but um, yeah, I do agree. Um, there was a point in the third, wasn't there, where he got a gut check? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. For sure. And then he goes on, he wins the last round with a takedown. Um, Certainly they're ready to wilt. So. Yeah. I, I, I guess the and the other cliched question to ask is, is he that same guy who did that now? I guess if it does come down to that against Warrior, is he kind of got it in yeah. him to still do that? Here's a question. If Connor did win and you're managing him, 
do you face Oliveira for the belt? Or do you go for the likes of a Nate Diaz rematch? Or, I don't know. There's there's a lot of guys in the UFC that kind of money fights kind of you look at like a Gaethje or you look at someone like that or do you go for the Chucky Olives fight as Danica called it? He's in a horrible well, the UFC are in a horrible sort with Oliveira being the champ because I think there's a whole list of names you give there a bigger quote unquote money fights with McGregor aren't there? But the Oliveira Oliveira in Brazil would be huge. Yeah, there is that, whether he wants to do that. I, I don't know whether he's going to be saying, yeah, I'll go and fish in your backyard, because I know Oliveira's the champ, but McGregor's very much the A-side, isn't he? There's, there's yeah. no competition there, so whether he's going to feel he can dictate that. I just think, if I'm thinking as a fan, from his point of view, this must be... I do feel like Oliveira's a come down from the way we were talking about potential, obviously not possible now, but a Khabib rematch. Um, yeah, yeah. The Diaz trilogy, the Masvidal for the BMF belt in theory, even the fight for the 170-pound belt, I think he's have yeah. no interest in with Kamara, presumably, but at some point that's been talked about with various champs. I just feel like that would be a bit of a come down in comparison, but for sure, if he wants to become a champ again, I'm sh- if he really just genuinely just want that belt, then I'm sure he can get himself motivated for it, but I would question how much that belt means to him now, having already had it. Yeah. Um, this is a side note. I was just thinking yesterday how much I'd love to see Dan Hooker against Gaethje. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and just how good that would be. But um, in terms of... Have uh, even got anything up? I mean, that, that no. would seem like the fake as well. It seems makes I think sense. They want, I think they want Gaethje Chandler is the one they're looking at. I mean, I was about to say... That makes sense as well, but yeah. Gaethje against anyone is always a good answer, and it's never, never going to be Gaethje, dull. Gaethje's doing the number one thing you don't do in the UFC, and he's asking to be paid. Um, so it remains to be seen what happens there. <laughs> Everyone has done that so far, is not Nice. Well, I don't know if you saw, they've just made an interim belt for the heavyweight title, considering yeah. we won it about two months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I couldn't believe when I saw Lewis against the... Yeah. They were getting got made. Obviously, they were pretty much, as to my opinion, it was all done with Lewis and Ngannou, wasn't it? So apparently, he wasn't ready for August. I think he's gone back to uh, gone back to Ghana, and he said he wants a bit more time, and that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But that just about does us, I think. Um, we'll watch the fights on Saturday. We'll talk about the results on Monday. We'll go through the card. Hopefully, uh, main man Wonder Boy. Pulls off another win against uh, Gilbert Burns. And uh, we'll see how we go. So thanks again for listening. By that pod, England could be European champions. Let's hope. What a tense, tense (laughs) fight. We'll be back. Goodbye.